0: Well, church, um, you might be asking, like, what in the world um, is this? Well, I want to—we've been getting to know each other, and one of the things that you should know about me is I love games. Uh, if you come over and play games at our house, we love board games, love card games. I am super competitive. Um, but there's also like I love strategy games. I love just um, little easy games. Like I can even get competitive on shoots and ladders. Who else with me? Shoots and ladders, right? Candyland. When um, somebody gets that double yellow, it just it it hurts. Um, but you know most games are are are, are pretty good. And I, I can jive with them. Um, this game though, Jenga. anybody ever played Jenga before? Right? Like I have to ask this question. I get used to it. But what kind of person thinks it is a good game to start, hey, let's like have a solid structure, and then here's what we're going to do. We're going to take blocks out, and we're going to see how high we can stack it, and to see the last person that um, takes one out and then causes it to knock over. Like, I have enough anxiety and stress in my life, I don't need to be invited to play a game that induces it even more. Like, right? Like, you're that person that you're looking at it, and it's like this high, and there is nowhere else to go, and you're like... (laughs) right and you're like oh my gosh like you might as well as put a blood like pressure monitor on me and watch as i have a heart attack right in front of you like this is like whoever made this game is just had something wrong with them and they just thought this would be fun right? This would just be fun. 90s weren't uh, stressful enough. Uh, but this is like, I think this game though is a kind of description of kind of all of us. Like remember, like when it gets really high, like how many of us feel like over the last two years that your life is like a tall Jenga tower that has pieces missing in different places, and you're like, I can keep going higher and higher. I promise, I can go one more level, but at the sake of being pulling out things From what? Support and hold you up. Like, how many of you feel like you are any second away from toppling over as something else is asked of your life to take from the foundation and put it up at the top, right? Maybe it's your job. It's your friends, right? It is just something else, another thing that they're like, man, let me take more out and begin to put it on top. Like, church, this shouldn't be. We shouldn't be structures that are so wobbly, so insecure at the doing of ourselves, Like that we do it to ourselves and we do it to one another. Church, it should not be this way. Instead, I think the way of Jesus, what would it look like if one anothering wasn't just about this? Like, let me say, like, when we talk about encouraging one another, one anothering, what if it didn't mean just being there when everything fell apart? Right? Like sometimes we think like this idea of one anothering is just being there when everything falls over. Or to make sure that things like you can add a couple extra hands to secure it. What if one anothering actually meant encouraging, putting back instead of taking out? What would it look like if one anothering as disciples of Jesus, followers of the way, that instead of taking life from each other to see how much more that we can handle, what if we took the opportunity that when it arrives, we encourage one another? That when the opportunity arises, and it arises often, that we take that opportunity to encourage one another. It arrives, and it arrives often. And so we want to talk about what does it look like when it arrives to make a movement towards one another. So if you'll join me, if you'll look in the text, uh, open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, this is going to be in verses 9 through 11. Our verse really is 11, but I want to give a little context to what was going on as we talk more about what it looks like to one another. And so this is, again, 1 Thessalonians 5, um, 9 through 11. For God has not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let me read that one more time. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are doing. The Thessalonians, like if you've read this or done a little research, or maybe you haven't, let's just, let's do a little journey. The Thessalonians um, were one of Paul's first missionary journeys. He went to Thessalonica, and he started sharing, and, and, and instantly, within the first month, people started to come to know Jesus, started to surrender their lives to Jesus, and started to live what is called the way of Jesus. They started to follow the way. And then instantly, in this moment, they started feeling persecution, affliction, Anxiety, being stripped away from the culture and the powers to pull themselves away, but also families. Like, they were in the midst of turmoil. And not only that, is that they were in this part of chapter 5, is that they were really grieving. They had lost some family members, people who were um, of the community of Jesus, who were killed or had died. Like, either they were martyrs of Jesus or they had died. And this question was, as they were new followers of the way, they were wondering this. Like, what happens when we die and Jesus hasn't come back yet? Are we going to miss it? Like, they have anxiety. They have stress. They have faced persecution. They've endured affliction. They had worried about what their loved ones, if they were going to be with Jesus after committing their life to Jesus. They were worried that they would not be able to participate in the return of Jesus if they were dead. And I wonder if that weight felt ever, ever to them too much. Like, and I wonder that question to us. Like, what in your life has ever felt like following Jesus and living life was too much? Like, man, I've just got so much anxiety. There's so much fear in my life. Like, I don't know what to do. There is so much expectations upon my life. I am losing people that I love and care about. Mm. I don't know if I can make it one more day. I don't know. I don't know if I can make it one more day. It's all too much. That as you begin to live life, and as the Thessalonians began to live life, they started stacking their lives in ways where there was pressure. And how many of us, when living life, and especially over these last two years, we felt like there's too much pressure. That the expectation to see how high we can go it gets heavy. It gets heavy, and you might ask this question, well, what does it look like when we start to wobble? The question you might ask is, how do the Thessalonians not wobble and fall over? Like, how do, you know, when you're playing the game of Jenga, how do you come by and work it at so high, where you can make it and see how far you can go without it breaking, without it falling over, without everything that you've built in your life, come falling down, Paul, and you might be like, Paul said that the answer was on how they one anothered. And you might be like, Austin, you are just trying to proof text and make this fit. And I say, like, fine. Like, you might ask that question. Let's look at the text together. One of the things right at the end of verse 11, what did they say? Just as you are already doing, They were one another. When the weight felt too much, when it felt too much, when they couldn't go on, Paul said, one another. When it felt like everything was going to come around, when you were questioning everything that you had believed in, one another. When you felt like somebody's going to come and ask for one more thing, one another. When it felt like too much to keep on, it meant to one another. That in the midst of all of this, in life of following Jesus, you and I, when it feels like your life is about to topple over, about to disintegrate, everything that you've built is going to fall apart. Jesus says, to us, not just to you, not only in your life. Again, this life of following Jesus is not done in isolation and individualism. Because who can add back into their life things that are taken and put somewhere else? We can't. We need one another. And so in this, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians to do what they have already always done. This is what Paul is encouraging us to do. This is what Jesus is encouraging us to do. Is when life seems to come at you uncontrollable and you can't do anything about it, he says, one another. Encourage one another. Like, how many of us—I just sit in this reality, and I'm looking at it and saying, I wonder in this room, how many of you feel like this? Like, if you just take out the wrong one, everything's coming down. And we feel like— Maybe coming here this Sunday morning was that one thing that was going to topple everything down. Or maybe going in tomorrow morning to work is going to be that one thing. Or maybe driving in this morning with your kids was that one thing that was about to throw everything off. Right? And you ask, how am I going to make it? How do I not just give up at what I'm doing in this life? So many of us in life, are asked to take from. We're asked to lean in, to give into, to fulfill, to fill the spaces and the gaps with our words. I came across this um, this video on Instagram, and I couldn't help but stop. West Side. Elementary in Heldsburg, California, created a free telephone hotline where you can listen to uplifting and encouraging messages told to you by kindergartners, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th graders. You, they had pulled together a project and said, what would it look like if we created a hotline where people could go in and hear encouraging words from kindergartners? How many of you would call in? I did. The number's on the screen. Here's this thing. 707-988-8410 is the number. It's a real, real number. If you call in, you will hear a prompt. It'll give you like a touchstone. Like, uh, if ch- press number one. If you want to hear kindergartners give you uplifting messages, I'm telling you, those kindergartners are the sweetest things I've ever heard in my entire life. Right? I listened to about four or five times and i'm not going to kid you every time you can ask my wife i was holding back tears right as i'm preparing for this message i actually feel pretty good about my life and then but in there i'm holding back tears because what they're saying is not profound new statements that you've never heard before but what they've done is they've harnessed the power of words hearing it from someone else hearing it from one another that you might be encouraged That you might know that you can make it another day. That someone sees you, knows you, hears you. How many of you need someone that's going to come and encourage you? That you need encouragement so much that there would be... Like, let me think about this. Just think for a second. That in our life, in our world, we need encouragement so bad that kindergartners have to create a toll-free number for you to call. It should not be this way, church. That if we are followers of Jesus, followers of the way, it should not be that. We should be those people. Those words that were flown out of, you know, the kid's mouth made me think of Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. He said that unless you become like these little children, you will not enter or participate in the kingdom of heaven. Can I tell you the truth about that? That sometimes that we, and when we grow old and cynical and hurt and baggaged and bandaged and wounded, all the things that we just feel like there is we're so hurt and wounded that we need a kindergartner to encourage us. Church, we are called to be that even though we are wounded, even though we are hurt, even though we have baggage, that one anothering means we need to encourage each other because Words matter. The book of James says that your words, get this, they have the power to take life or to give it. Your words, scroll through your text messages. What are you giving? Are we giving life? We have the power to encourage. We have the power to take. It says even like in some translation, it says poison. That poison, like maybe you don't kill them right away in that moment, but you slowly are putting them to death. Your words have that much power. And the way that you wield them, and I'm in here right now, Holy Spirit is already speaking to me in the way that I communicate with my closest family and friends. I too am feeling the weight of right now reflecting on my own words. Am I poisoning my family and my friends, my community, or am I living life in and through them? Your words have absolute power. And the thing about that is, is that when the—we talked about that opportunity arises. It arises all the time. The Holy Spirit all the time. I'm wondering right now, as we talk about this, if the Holy Spirit right now is not only laying upon your head and your thought and your heart of someone that you know that right now feels like Jenga— And they're about to topple over. And what would happen if you used your words to give life instead of take another piece off their board? Like, what would it look like if you had taken that opportunity the Holy Spirit is right now? And I'm saying this. This is your pastor right now saying this. If you feel it, take your phone out right now and text somebody right now. I can tell you it's happened to me and it's happened to other people is that when I receive a text— a random text of encouragement, it absolutely changes. Like, I come home, ask my wife. I'm like, look at this, read this, read this. She's like, why are you so happy and smiling? somebody responded to the Holy Spirit and encouraged me. Or that I responded and said, hey, I'm just going to write this. I just feel like I don't know why, but you need this. And then you know those text messages that you get that says, like, it pops up on your notification. Instead of giving you, like, the little, like, preview of what it was, it just says text message. Because then you open it up and it's like, oof. Here, let me give you just one sentence and get back. A book. Your words have power to encourage, have power to transform and change lives. It's our job in one another to take that opportunity when the Holy Spirit prompts you not to be like, "Mm, my words really don't matter, not coming from me. I haven't been a good enough friend. I haven't been a good enough dad or husband or mom or wife. I haven't been a good enough coworker. But to respond to the Holy Spirit saying, no, actually, what I'm doing right now is saying that you are. That this person who I'm putting in your head and in your heart absolutely needs you right now which is why I'm knocking at your door. They need you. It's not actually an affirmation of you. It's an affirmation of the Holy Spirit that has combined us together to be one another and to each other. But what are these life? What are these words that we are encouraged to give to one another? And this is where I think this is really important. If I just give a good catchphrase, Right? Like, I'm trying to put something into somebody's life that I'm always encouraging them. And then what happens when I leave? Like, my community that we were in Connecticut with, like, I'm encouraging them. I love them. I really do. It's really—I'm really sad that we have, like, left. But if the encouragement that I had given them over six years left with me, what words am I using? I'm using words that I'm trying to convey, my feelings, my value, or my thoughts about them. Instead, like Paul is saying, not only encourage, but build up. And what does that building up mean? Well, that building up actually means using your words that bring life. And the words of life that you have are the words that come from this guy, Jesus. Like he says that, I am living water that the life that flows from me, the words that flow from you, will take your dead life and bring them back. And so that when we have the power, it's not in our own own words, but it's in the power of Jesus Christ to say, I'm going to use your words so that whenever you leave my proximity, my encouragement stays with you because Jesus stays with you. And so what we do is when we look at somebody's life, and we say, man, it looks pretty wobbly. And you're actually not supposed to re-correct, correct in Jenga, if you didn't know that. Well, that may be a word. You're not supposed to correct somebody's life. Can we just, can we just say that for a moment? Your job is not with your words to correct. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Just got to say that for a moment. But what if instead of trying to take different pieces out of somebody's life, what if you just built in to their lives? What if you said, you're loved, not by my physical feeling or emotional feeling towards you, but that God said, that God so loved the world that he sent his son for you to remind you of the value of your life, that he created you he loves you. And for you, he died. He didn't move and come to earth because he wanted to pay a price of vengeance. That God so loved the world that Jesus humbled himself so that you might know that you are loved. And so what we do with our encouraging words is we take things like this, not our own magical words, but the words of Jesus, the gospel words, the words of true life, and we start to put them back into people's lives. Because then Jesus is in that space when you stop texting, when you hang up the phone, when you leave their presence, that your encouragement doesn't go with you, but is left there because Jesus resides where you are. What if you told people and you reminded them in the beginning when God had created everything, man and woman, all the birds of the air, animals of the field, he looked down and he said, it's a nice Hebrew word, For you are good. Like, you are good. You are very good. That I don't know what you're feeling right now. You're feeling icky, gross. Like, you have just done some things. You're like, man, this won't wash off. And you would be like, I know you feel that way. But you're good like this word is not good or very good i love my friend i was at chick um, what is chick 15 or something like that 13 or 15 whatever it was my friend nathan albert said not only i've heard tove is good but he goes tove also means working the way that god created you to work That you're not broken down. You're not missing a piece. You're not a puzzle with 15 pieces missing. You're working. You're not missing gears. You're not misfiring as a car. You are working the way that God has called you to work. He made you that way. And you tell somebody that they are good, they are very good those first two were drawn by me. And so when you see this last one, you'll know why this one looks a lot better. Ephesians chapter two is a text that I've used a lot because it is a text that really burned in my head when we had went to, to France. And I'll tell you more about that story. But we went to the Louvre and we saw art that had that has no price tag on it. Because it was drawn by people that are dead and that will never do it again. And people call these things masterpieces. Ephesians chapter two ten says, You are God's masterpiece. You are priceless. You are something to behold and to wonder at. You are something that people take care of and cherish, that are tender with, because they know the inherent value that you are. And that when people mess up your life, when you mess your life up, you know what the best thing about masterpieces are? They're not like my kids' kindergarten pieces of art. They don't get thrown away. They get taken to a restore of masterpieces. Masterpieces that they put these works of art in front of people that restore these things back to the way that they are meant to be. Jesus is that masterpiece. Restore. There's nothing that you can do that could ruin the masterpiece that you are. But when you get messed up, when you get dirty, when everything seems to like, you should just throw this out, You put yourself in front of the Restorer, the Redeemer of all things. He fixes you up. He puts you in the mirror and he reminds you that you are a masterpiece. You are God's workmanship over all of creation. Everything you look at around here, the mountains, Mount Rainier, Mount Baker, when it's it's out of the clouds and it's not very often in Seattle, I'm just saying it, people. When it comes out, it is a masterpiece. It has nothing on you. Stand at the base of the mountain of Mount Rainier, and Jesus will look at you every time. What if you put that back in people's lives? That you reminded them that they are a masterpiece. This is what it means to be a one another in community. This is what changes everything. When you feel, when we feel, when everything feels like we can't do it any longer— when people in your life feel like they can't do it any longer, they should be running to us because we point them to Jesus, that we put deposits back in their lives that change the very stability of their lives, that we remind them that they are not to be broken up, to wobble, to be taken down, but they are to be built up and to encourage that when we are weak, Jesus is made strong. When we feel like everything is about to collapse, Jesus is fortifying our very lives. Let us not grow weary of encouraging one another. Let us not require the world to create a telephone number where we get encouragement. People, it should not be this way. We have the words of life. Use them. Start in your closest proximity. Let me tell you this. Students, how many of your friends, if you just walked and you said something that gives life back into them, guarantee you would change their very day. They might not tell you, but they will walk home, they will close their door, they will go into the room, and they will remember the words which you spoke and breathed over them because the Holy Spirit will lay upon them So church, let us one another. Let us encourage one another. Will you pray with me? Jesus, what is this moment if we do not respond? That every time that you encountered someone, it was a question, what are you going to do? So Holy Spirit, I'm asking. May it start here. May we look in... as our eyes are closed, as we are just in this space, there's story here that's been hurt. There's wounds here that are still letting be festered. As we one another, not only do we ask for forgiveness, but God, I pray that we might be the encouragement, that we know somebody else is hurt, Jesus, and that we would respond to your Holy Spirit, maybe right now, maybe today maybe today would start a new day at Pine Lake Covenant Church where we actually encourage one another. So God, start with me. May we encourage one another. May we lift each other up. May we build each other up, reminding them that they are the masterpiece of Christ. Christ. Spirit come we ask this in your name